Business and Buckets. We're back for another week of sports. Episode 86 on this beautiful Thursday afternoon in the Pacific Northwest. It's gray, it's cloudy, it's rainy. But we out here with some content. We're going to break down playoff action, UFC action. UFC is right back in action after the week off. Uh, recapping last weekend's fight night card. Preparing UFC 275 this weekend. I am fired up. Um, but yeah, I was just uh, looking at my emails before this because it's Thursday afternoon and got an email from Verizon and they're like, we would welcome you to add BB&B, have the ability to, you know, add home internet, add home phone. It's like, oh, I am invited to pay you more money. I just thought that was funny. Um, you know, I invite you guys to come in and, and spend some more money. You know, give me some some comments and subscribers. I just think it's funny how that is phrased. Uh, but I'm fired up to talk some sports this week. Um, excited for, um, I'm going to, I believe, nine baseball games in seven days this next coming week, starting Saturday in the Red Sox game, which is a little tricky because UFC 275 will be going on. So I'm going to have to uh, watch on my phone while watching uh, baseball game live. But um, ready for summer, heading to Montana here pretty soon on June 20th. So I'll be filming some episodes there, getting some more business episodes. But before we talk sports today, let's talk fueled supplements. Whether you guys are trying to run a 4040, lift 400 pounds, or enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off uh, all products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now we're going to start right into the MMA. So um, there has been some more fights that have been announced, some subbing of fights, and some things happening outside of just the UFC. But we have Kennedy and Shukwu taking on Carl Robertson. That'll be a fun, light heavyweight matchup of a vet veteran versus a young stud. Um, will be a banger for sure. In the bantamweight division, what a fight booked here. Cheeto finally got his wish. Uh, Marlon Vera taking on Dominic Cruz. Uh, Marlon, with his last win, actually has leapfrogged uh, Dominic in ranking, so now Dominic is willing to fight him. That'll be quite an interesting fight. Uh, Mario Batista versus Brian Kelleher and lower-ranked bantamweights that'll be fighting for some momentum. Alexa Grasso taking on Vivian Arahu, and what a fun fight that's going to be in the women's division. Um, really fired up about this fight. Added UFC 276. They had teased the idea of Burgos, Charles Jordan. I was hoping that would happen. But we get to see the up-and-coming Ian Gary taking on Gabe Green, UFC 276. Super stoked about that. There is not a bad fight on that card. Um, Ignacio Baja Mondes coming back against Ludwig Klein. That'll be a great fight. And then, sadly, Askar Askarov pulls out of the fight against Alex Perez. But Alexander Pantoja steps in uh, for UFC 277. That's going to be a fun flyweight matchup. And then, I don't believe this is finalized, but pretty close. Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier 2. Poirier has been struggling to find a dancing partner. Um, I, I would have liked to see, see him fight some other people that he hasn't fought yet. But that will still be a fun one for UFC 278. And then looking at roster moves, some pretty good names getting released from the UFC. You know, some of them in a little bit of rut, just haven't fought very actively. There's just so many good, so much good talent on the UFC roster 
But some of these names I was a little surprised about, I would assume, will go on and have great careers elsewhere. We'll come back to the UFC with a couple wins. That's Luis Smolka, Frank Camacho, Andrea Michalaitis, and Alex Da Silva are no longer on the roster. A couple of them who have just fought on this past card. Um, Elsewhere in the MMA world, the very um, supreme wrestling talent, Bo Nickel, wins in his UFC or in his uh, Icon FC debut under Jorge Masvidal. He's been training with Jorge Masvidal for quite some time in ATT to help him against wrestlers. And, um, you know, he knocked this guy out, looked pretty clean. He's very confident human being, which you have to be in fighting. It'll be fun to see where he goes from there. I would assume that the UFC scoops him up pretty, pretty soon. It's only his first pro fight, um, but the ability to have such high-level wrestling, you know, Penn State, one of the best programs in the country year in, year out, uh, to have good striking, that's going to be massive. And then John Dotson signing with BKFC. Great to see that he still gets to enjoy the sport that he loves, you know, bash, uh, bash some skulls uh, in BKFC. Um, we had talked about the road to the UFC happening for this UFC weekend where they're putting basically a bracket of fighters together, the winners of that road to the UFC getting UFC contracts. That'll be happening today and tomorrow. It happens at like crazy hours, Singapore time. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to be tuning in, but we'll be keeping tabs on that. But let's talk about this last weekend's fight night card. I went 7-2 and two on the picks in the card. Felt pretty good about it. Lots of favorites winning on this card. Um, some fights that we didn't talk about that were some good performances and worth mentioning. How about Renat Fokharadinov with a great win? Uh, Tony Gravely with a great win as well. And Odie Osborne. Um, great wins by all those fighters. Uh, especially Renat. I believe that was his UFC debut. Uh, Gravely getting back on track and Odie Osborne um, fin getting a finish nice and early. But let's start in the prelims. We had Aaron cold-blooded Blanchfield with a second-round submission over J.J. Aldrich. And really my theme of this fight was I thought the Vegas Dogs were doing J.J. JJ dirty, and I thought she was going to make this a messy fight and, and, and make it a lot closer than the odds had seemed. And she came out strong like I thought she would. Uh, she battled with Aaron, landed some big shots in the first round, but Aaron was able to get a crazy high elbow choke up against the cage early in the second round. Um, I honestly think this would have been a, a fun fight to see it go all three rounds and who the, the victor would have been because it was very close. But, you know, great for Aaron to have the wherewithal to be in the cage, be able to get that high elbow, get that choke in. That's not something you see frequently in the UFC. Statistically, Aaron landed 68 total and 48 significant strikes with a submission attempt compared to JJ's 38 total and 32 significant strikes with two takedowns, although it was in six attempts. Aaron is now on a six-fight winning streak with three of them in the UFC. Very impressive. And JJ has her three-fight winning streak come to an end. So what's next for these ladies? I mean, this is a very, very big win for Erin in her career. She's making a statement at only 23 years old. She called for the winner of Jessica I and Macy Barber, which is even a bigger step up in my opinion. But I could see her taking on Tracy, Tracy Cortez, who just got into the rankings, just got a victory. And for JJ, I could see Melissa Gatto. That would be a scrap. That would be a fun one for the odds or for the matchmakers to put together. And then we had Jeffrey El Jefe Molina with a split decision over Zalgas Zumagalov. Uh, and this was a very close fight as well. 
I thought it could have easily gone the other way, personally. Zalgis wrestled Molina pretty much throughout the whole bout, but Molina landed the better strike. So I understand how they, they did give it to Molina, but it seems like the scoring has changed even though there's been no real scoring change, like rule changes. When it comes to wrestling, having control time, uh, taking control of the octagon, but not landing any damage. And that's really the theme of this fight. Um, Zalgas was smothering Molina. He didn't think he could hang with him in the wrestling department, and he really couldn't. He did well to get back up on his feet, get against the cage, fight him off, but they'd kind of stalemate there for quite some time. When we look at the stats, Molina landed 129 total and 56 significant strikes compared to Zalgas's 68 total, 37 significant, and two takedowns, although it was 13 attempts. Now, Molina's on a 10-fight winning streak, with four of them being in the UFC. And Zalgas is now on a two-fight losing streak and is 1-4 in in his last five fights, which is brutal because he is a tough fighter and has been showing out. So what's next for these gentlemen? I can see Molina taking on Odie Osborne, who just had the quick uh, victory in this fight card. Um, That would be a fire matchup. And for Zalgas, I could see Malcolm Gordon uh, for him to try to get back on track. That's a a must-win scrap for both fighters. And then we had Joe Selecki twenty-eight or uh, taking on Alex uh, Lico da Silva, and Joe Selecki came out with the decision victory or the submission victory. Although, actually, wait, I didn't mark it on here, and I'm just making shit up here. Let me confirm. Was it a? I think it was a decision. Might have been a um, submission, but probably not. Seems forever ago already. I was going to film this yesterday. But I wanted to watch the, the NBA Finals. My Angels are in a fucking skid like none other. And I wanted to see if we could rally the troops and get a victory. And uh, I was tuning in. You know, one of those uh, positive fans that probably shouldn't be. But it was a majority decision. So um, Joe Selecki with the majority decision over Alex Da Silva. And this was a fight that I went back and forth on picking, but I did pick Aaron. I did pick Molina, El Jefe. I did pick Joe, but Alex came out hot in round one. He'd been off for quite some time. He landed some big shots. Selecki weathered the storm like he's done before. He made it his fight in round two. He was able to grind out Silva, get um, uh, top control, and got a deep, deep body triangle in, which for your cardio and and your... um, your ability to to last through for a fight that really you know wears and tears on you when you can't breathe right. He's also scrapping in some punches, you know, grinding out for some submission attempts. But in the third, Selecki kind of tired himself out from that action as well. And Alex dug deep because he needed to. He had not fought for over a year, needed to win. He found some shots, um, but it was a hard fought battle. I I thought Alex was going to come back strong, and then the UFC had released him later the, uh, earlier this week. Uh, So that makes things interesting, but a good win by Joe nonetheless. When we look at the stats, Joe landed 91 total and 33 significant strikes uh, with a takedown and three submission attempts compared to Alex's 54 total, 35 significant with a takedown. And this was a majority decision, but it was each round was quite close. Um, I think the late rally Alex had made it even closer. Uh, He looked to be in good shape. Not a lot of ring rust for being off for some time. So, you know, I I thought he looked good in my eyes. But then again, the UFC ends up cutting him. Uh, Joe starts a new winning streak. 
while Alex extends his losing streak to two. So what's next? I'd love to see Jake t- take on Mark Matt or Joe take on Mark Madsen or Grant Dawson. I think those are good step ups and competitions in this very deep weight class. I thought Alex would be able to take on Zhu Rong, the very young stud in the lightweight division, but um, it looks like his days in the UFC are 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 no longer until he gets a couple wins elsewhere. And then this fight, I did not pick correct. Uh, Carolina Kowalsiewicz, I can't say her name. They said it on the air. I was going to remember how to say it the right. Kowalsiewicz. We'll just say Carolina Kowalsiewicz with a second round submission over Felice Herrig. And this fight was a clinic by Carolina. I mean, Felice left her gloves in, gloves in the octagon after the fight. She announced retirement, which, uh, you know, I said the loser of this fight would probably be in that situation. But Carolina has credited Joanna Youngjacek for helping her with her camp, dialing her fight game in. And I think it showed this was the best Carolina we had seen until she was a prospect before this big fight skid that she was on. Statistically, Fleece landed 59 total and 55 uh, significant strikes compared to Carolina's 102 total, 82 significant with two submission attempts. And Fleece ends her career with four straight losses, two of them being against Carolina. Carolina starts a new winning streak after that five-fight losing streak. Now, I could see Carolina Carolina taking on Lupita Godinez next. She's on, She's got some momentum getting back on track. Uh, but this was a great version of Carolina, and maybe she's uh, really improved her game. But also, Felisa talked about the knee injury she's over, tried to overcome. She was trying to end her career on a good note, and it just seems like her body wasn't allowing her to. So it'll be interesting to see what Carolina looks like in her next fight. And then we move into the main card. We had Alonzo Menafield with a first-round knockout over Askar Mazarov. And this fight was a clinic as well for, for um, Alonzo. Um, Askar was the joke all weekend as he had these ridiculous record changes and name changes. You know, his record was inflated. Some fake fights said, no, we didn't take these losses. That was on a different name. So really weird situation. But uh, you could tell he didn't belong in the ring with Alonzo. Uh, Stat-wise, Alonzo landed 55 total and 19 significant strikes with two takedowns compared to Askar's 11 total and two significant strikes. And now Alonzo starts a new winning streak while Askar ends his three-fight winning streak in his UFC debut. So what's next? I would love to see Alonzo take on Tyson Pedro, who's been you know out for some time and just came back recently. And Askar could take on Shamil Gamzadov if he's still in the UFC after all the craziness that had happened. Then we had Lucas Almeida with a third round TKO over Michael Trezano. This was the other fight I got wrong on the night. And uh, this was a grinder of a fight. It was fight of the night for a reason. Almeida landed way more volume. He was able to get the finish in this fight. But both fighters had their moments, right? Both fighters knocked, knocked each other down. But I thought Lucas was in control throughout most of the fight. And this is a tough loss for uh, Trezano. Uh, statistically, Trezano landed 42 total and 31 significant strikes with a knockdown compared to Lucas's 94 total and 75 significant with two knockdowns of his own. So Trezano is now on a two-fight losing streak with both of them being in 2022. So he took some time off you know, from the Ultimate Fighter win, uh, you know, try to work on his game, comes in 2022 looking to get multiple fights, get back on track, starting the year with two straight losses. And Lucas has a two-fight winning streak with one of those in the UFC. Now, 
For Lucas, I think Zubera Tukagov makes sense. Or And for Trezano, how about Charles Rosa? Those would be some scraps to make. And then the co-main. How about this motherfucking Evloev, man? Movsar Evloev with a unanimous decision, a statement decision over Dan Ige. And we all knew Evloev was good. But god damn, was this a coming out party for him? I mean, he blasted through Ige and looks like a future title contender in this division. He out-wrestled, he out-striked, he out-cardioed Dan Ige, and that is not an easy thing to do. Statistically, Ige landed 47 total and 42 significant strikes, compared to Movsar's 144 total and 68 significant. But he also had nine takedowns, although it was 16 attempts, very good cardio, really good pace for a third-round fight, and he was looking clean when doing it. Now, this is a brutal loss for Ige. I mean, it's, it's what it is. He drops his third fight in a row. The title contention, like, you know, capability seems far out of reach now. He just entered his prime at 30 years old, but he drops only one spot in the rankings to number 11. And for Evloev, he stays undefeated. He's 6-0 and in the UFC. And he moves up three stops, three spots in the rankings to number 10. He's now a top 10 fighter. So what's next? I mean, Avlo have called out Arnold Allen, which would be a fucking scrap. I talked about it on Twitter. That would be badass. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I, I could see Arnold not wanting to take an undefeated fighter who's ranked below him. How about Bryce Mitchell? Another guy that's in a terrible fight anybody. Fucking Arkansas strong. That would be a fucking fucking badass fight either way i hope we get to see one of those fights uh here uh maybe late summer and for Ige, i think sadiq yusuf or dan hooker who's looking to regain momentum as well those fights make sense but i hope the best for dan Ige. i really like him as a fighter he's a good fighter but this division is a motherfucker speaking about motherfucker in the main event alexander drago volkov with a first round knockout over jarzinho biggie boy rosenstrike and uh you know this fight had a controversial finish it was a little controversial but i agree with the decision i mean i don't think rosenstrike was going to recover after volkov was up against the cage plowing him knocked his mouth guard out he was laying down i mean even if he did i think he was about to get knocked out anyways um you know, as I expected, that this was a fight that I was kind of back and forth on, but I thought Volkov would keep Jarzinho at distance, land some big shots, and that's exactly what he did. Um, it didn't last long, so Volkov only landed 21 total and significant strikes. Most of that was that late barrage to try to finish Jarzinho, and Jarzinho only landed six total and significant strikes. So Volkov now starts a new winning streak, while Jarzinho drops two fights in a row. Um, Volkov stays at number seven, Rosenstrike at eight, so no movement in the rankings. So what's next? I would love to see Volkov take on the winner of Lewis and Pavlovich. Um, he's already fought Lewis, hasn't fought Pavlovich, but I think those would be great. And for G for Jarzinho, how about Marcin Tibera? That would be a good scrap for him. It was a good little fight night card, though. I enjoyed it. Earlier start, got to start my Saturday with it. Well, let's talk about what's going down on a pay-per-view bout this weekend, UFC 275. We're going to start in the prelims with Andre Fialho, 28 years old, with a 16-4 record, taking on Jake the Celtic Kid Matthews, who's 27 years old, with a 17-5 record. Now, Fialho, he, he's on a fucking train, man. 
I mean, he's not as hyped as Kamzat was during the COVID days. And he wasn't like, I'll fucking kill everybody. And, you know, he wasn't quite the sell. But he's going for his fourth fight this year. And it's not even July. It's not even the halfway point yet. You know, three of those were in the UFC. He's favored in this fight as well. But I expect this fight to be another tough test for Fialho in his fourth UFC fight. Andre, he's got a boxing background. He's an orthodox fighter as well. He trains out of Sanford MMA. He's an alum of Bellator, PFL, and the LFA. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 and one in the UFC and 3-1 and one this year. And 13 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Now, Jake, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's coming off a loss, which was over 12 months ago, so over a year. He's 3-1 and one in his last four fights. Seven of his 17 wins are via submission, and three of his five losses are via submission. Now, this is a fun fight in the prelims. I'm going to take the underdog in this one as I think he has more experience, and I believe that Jake used his time off to really improve his game. Although Andre's been on a tear and looked good, it's been against some lower-level competition, his first UFC fights, and he's gotten lucky in some, some big strikes, counterattacks, and I don't think Jake's going to let that happen. So I'm taking Matthews. I'm putting him on my motherfucking parlay. We marking the ish down, and we getting this bread. And I'm going to the casino tonight to put down some bets. Y'all, you feel me? And then we have Brendan All-In Allen, 26 years old, with an 18-5 and record, taking on Jacob Mamba Malkoon, who's 26 years old with a 6-1 and record. Now, after taking a fight at light heavyweight and getting momentum back, I think Brendan Allen is back at home base at middleweight, and I think he's ready to get back to where he left off. You know, Allen trains out of Sanford MMA. He's a black belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series and LFA alum, where he was the champion at LFA. He's on a one-fight winning streak, but he's 3-1 and one in his last four fights, and 10 of his 18 wins are via submission. Now, Jacob, he's a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak, but both fighters are young studs. They're going to be involved in causing chaos in this division for years to come. But I'm all in on Brendan Allen. I like what I see from him. I'm putting him on the parlay. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main card. We have Rogerio Bontorin, 30 years old, with a 17-4 and record, and the number 8 next to his name, taking on Manel Starboy Cop, 28 years old, with a 17-6 and record, and the number 14 next to his name. Now, what a fight to start the main card. I mean, this is probably the fight I'm most excited for. Um, and I'm fired up for this fight, man. Bontorin, a black belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's lost three in a row and had a no contest in his last four fights because he tested positive for hydrocrothosity. And he originally won that fight via unanimous decision, so got, got popped, uh, took it as a no contest. Bontorin is now entering his prime, and he hasn't won since August of 2019. If he really loves this sport, which I would assume he is if he's still training and still fighting, he is going to be hungry for a win. 11 of his 16 wins are via submission. Now, Manel, he trains out of uh, AKA Thailand. He's a Ryzen alum and champion. 
He's on a two-fight winning streak, and he was 2-2 two and two in, in the last calendar year in 2021. He's been fighting the best fighters in the division, but hasn't quite, you know, had that momentum to go up towards a title shot. And 11 of his 17 wins are via knockout. Now, personally, I believe Cape is a better striker. He is the fresher fighter, but this is no easy task by any means. This is one that it's like, I'm not too sure. But, I'm, I, you know, I haven't put some bets down in a while. I'm going with Manel. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking this ish down. And we get in this bread. Now, this is the card, in my opinion. All these other fights, you know, the Bontorin fight. We'll talk about the uh, Valentina and Teixeira fight. But this was the best, hands down, the best women's fight. Top five fight I have ever seen. And I'm coming off watching The Ultimate Fighter yesterday. Uh, came out on Tuesday. I watched it yesterday. The best episode so far. Um, the the woman's scrap in that was great. The, the story behind it is they'd already fought previously before the Ultimate Fighter. Um, one of the chicks had to cut some hair off to make weight. Lots of drama. Um, one girl came out, Claire Guthrie, I think is her name, hot. The other girl was like Nate Diaz in women's fighting. Just came back like a zombie, was eating shots, taking shots, did not give a fuck. And it got me hyped thinking about this shit going down this Saturday. We get Zong Magnum Wele, 32 years old, with a 21-3 and record, and the number two next to her name, taking on Yoana, the queen of chaos, Young Jaychik, 34 years old, the queen of violence, the queen of chaos, whatever you want to call her. She doesn't have a, a, a technical nickname. And then 16-4 and record, and she's not ranked because she's been out for some time. Now, the best woman's fight of all time gets the rematch this weekend, deservedly so. You, you, you know you wanted it after last time. And I expect this to be fight of the night. And that was the fight of the year when it happened, I believe, 2020. Now, after the loss, Johanna, you know, had a big hematoma to deal with on her forehead. And uh, she, she got that handled, had some surgery. And uh, she kind of took some time to renegotiate a contract, try to get paid what she's worth. And has been living her life the past two years. Uh, but when we look at the fighters, Zong trains out of Fight Ready. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She is on a two-fight losing streak, but both of those are against Thug motherfucking Rose. Rose Nama Yunus. 10 over 21 wins are via knockout, and seven of them are via submission. So 17 finishes and 21 fights. She is the first Chinese champion as well. While Yawana, she's got a background in Muay Thai and kickboxing. She trains out of ATT. She has a blue belt in BJJ. She's a Muay Thai world champion. She has a two and a half inch reach advantage. She has the most title fights in women's divisions uh, in the women's strawweight division. Uh, five title defenses. Most wins in strawweight history. Most significant strike differential. First Polish champion. She was the 2014 Strawweight of the Year, the 2015 Female Fighter of the Year. And she's on a one-fight losing streak, which was to Waylay, but is 2-2 two and two in her last four fights. Now, I personally thought that Ioana won the first fight, but the damage she wore on her face and her hematoma allowed the judges to go with Waylay. I'm going to go with the Queen of Violence here. I think she really impresses us after a long layoff. I'm confidently putting her on my parlay. We marking her down and we getting that bed. 
And that's not a title fight. It feels like a title fight, but it's not. In this title fight, we get Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko, 34 years old, with a 22-3 record, taking on Talia Santos, 28 years old, with a 19-1 record, and the number four next to her name. Now, unlike the previous strawweight matchup, this one's not quite as uh, as fun of a fight. It should be good. You get to see the bullet in action. That's 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 worth its its weight. Um, and Talia is a good fighter, but we're talking about a generational talent with Shevchenko, the fucking bullet. <coughs> now, Valentina, she's a southpaw fighter. She trains at a uh, Tiger Muay Thai. She's a master of sport in Muay Thai, boxing, and kickboxing. She's a black belt in judo, a second don in taekwondo. She's a Muay Thai world champion, a taekwondo world champion, a K1 uh, kickboxing champion. She was the 2020 and 2021 female fighter of the year. She's got the most consecutive wins in women's flyweight history. Most knockouts in flyweight division with four. She has victories over four former UFC champions. She's on an eight-fight winning streak and has only lost to Amanda Nunez in the UFC. Eight of her 22 wins are via knockout, and seven of them are via submission. Talia has a Muay Thai background as well. She's a blue belt in BJJ. She is on a four-fight winning streak and is 5-1 and one in the UFC. And 10 of her 19 wins are via knockout. Now, I like Santos. I respect Santos. I think she's going to be a great fighter in this class. But this fight is really happening because Valentina has literally crushed everyone in the division. And she's the only opponent that really sticks out unless we want some rematches. So it's a a, a byproduct of situations. Uh, but I'm taking Valentina. Her odds are like minus 600, minus 700. So I might not put her on a parlay. Because it's not really going to pay out. And you know the what if situation. But if it adds to my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. And then the main event of Saturday. Glover Teixeira. 42 years old. With a 33 and 7 record. What a record. Taking on Hiri Proshaka. 29 years old with a 28-3-1 record and the number two next to his name. Now, what a crazy matchup this is. We have a young stud who's not even in his fighting prime, a once-in-a-decade fighter who is top-notch, the you know, fighting at the highest level at 40-plus years old. The last time I could remember that was Randy Couture. Now, these fighters have completely different styles, so it's a very interesting matchup on paper. Glover trains out of his own to share MMA and fitness. He has a fifth degree black belt in uh, Kajan Kumbo, a second degree black belt in BJJ. His, he's got the most finishes in light heavyweight history with 13. The most submissions in light heavyweight history was seven. He's on a six fight winning streak. 18 of his 33 wins are via knockout and 10 of them via submission. So 28 of his 33 fights via finish. Yuri, he's got a Muay Thai background. He's a Ryzen alum and champion. He's on a 12-fight winning streak with two of them in the UFC. 25 of his 28 wins are via knockout. 
Two of his three losses are also via knockout. He has a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. And he's just a wild motherfucker with a very non-traditional training style, punching trees just the way he does things. I mean, Yuri at the end of the day is probably a better striker, but I believe Glover is too smart. He's shown it in his last fights. He's fought really good strikers. He's not going to want to fight that way. He's going to look to take down Yuri. I think he looks to grind Yuri out, and he's going to test his cardio. Yuri might have a nice strong barrage to start the fight. Glover is going to battle through it. He's going to find a way to grind out. And then he's going to see if he's made a, a fighter that's made for five rounds. He's never gone past three. Um, I know that Yuri is the, the favorite, but Glover's a motherfucker. He looks too good right now. I think he finds a way. I'm taking the dog. I'm taking the champion. How often do you see the champion as a Vegas underdog? Let's get this money. Let's mark him on that parlay. And let's get this bread. But it's going to be a fun fight card. I'm super excited. Up next, next Saturday, we get a deep fight night card. Deeper than the last week's card. Another a uh, UFC Apex card headlined by Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett. What a scrap that's going to be. 3 p.m. Pacific main card start next Saturday. So a little bit earlier action. But the MMA world's going. UFC 276 right around the corner. Can't wait. Can't wait. But let's talk some NBA. Around the league, there was some interesting things happening. One of those being a headline by Phil Knight. Phil Knight offers a $2 billion plus dollar bid for the Blazers. And they said, nah, bruh, not interested. So that was uh, definitely cruising around the, the, the social media headlines. And then the NBA is to is going to make all NBA selections not tied to a player's position, so positionless um, all NBA team, which you know for some positions makes sense some years, some years it doesn't. So it'll be interesting to see if that lasts or not. I'm not necessarily pro or against. You know, sometimes the point guard position is so deep, and it's like, ah, oh, well, I wish we could have two guards in there, but um, that will be happening moving forward. But let's talk the NBA Finals. The last we had talked, we were prepping for Warriors Celtics. I had picked the Warriors. Uh, my gut feeling wanted me to go with the Celtics, but I ended up going with the Warriors mostly due to playoff experience, them getting some players back healthy. I thought that would make the difference. Um, come on, fucking internet. Um, but I was pretty excited for this. You know, um, to me, the postseason hasn't been as blockbuster as I would have expected. Uh, it's been a, it's been lacking a little bit. Uh, but this is a fun uh, finals. You get the the Celtics who completely fell off last year. The first half of this year have made a strong run. You get some young studs. They win a championship. It's like how many championships can they win? And the Warriors doing this with not even the best Warriors team in my in my mind, but. You have Steph motherfucking Curry. And uh, you know what? What Clay Thompson is going to show up. Jordan Poole's been hot. They get Iggy back for some defense. They get Gary Payton, uh, um, the second back for some defense. So uh, I figured it would be close. I think I picked Warriors in six. But game one gets people thinking a little bit. Warriors are leading throughout the, the game. They look to be on their way. And then they get outscored 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter. End up dropping game one in Oakland, 120 to 108. And the the Celtics were led by someone that I don't think you would expect to lead the, the team in scoring week one. But that was fucking Al Horford 
26 points on six of eight from three with six rebounds and on 12 shots. Really nice line from Horford. Jalen Brown with 24 points, seven rebounds, five assists on 23 shots. So not that efficient, but they made up. They found a win when Jason Tatum only scored 12 points on 17 shots. He was one of five from three. He did have 13 assists. So he he delegated, he delivered, um, you know, some nice passes. For, they found a way to win. And Derek White was clutch off the bench with 21 points. The rest of the bench really didn't exist. For the Warriors, they were led by Steph Curry. He had a good game, 34 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals on 25 shots. He was seven of 14 from three. The Warriors shot 42% from three, but the, the Celtics 51%. Derek White was five of eight. And then for the Warriors, uh, Clay Thompson, 15 points on 14 shots, three of seven from three. Andrew Wiggins, 20 points on 15 shots. So, you know, game one happens. I'm like, ooh, you know, maybe I, I made the wrong decision. But you would expect on Sunday that the Warriors would come back hotter than hell because you can't get swept at home. And that's exactly what happened. I think I turned the game off early. The Warriors won 107-88. to they held the Celtics to under 90 points. That's very impressive. The The Celtics shot 40% from three and only 37% from the field. The Celtics were led by Tatum. He had a little bit better game. 28 points, six of nine from three on 19 shots, uh, six rebounds as well. The rest of the team really didn't out, you know, perform too well. Jalen Brown had 17 on 17 shots. For the Warriors, they were led by Steph Curry. Again, he had 29 points on 21 shots. He was five of 12 from three. All five starters in double digits. Draymond Green just one point shy. And Jordan Poole was 17 off the bench. So they find a way to win at home. So everything's set up, right? We, we got it one and one. You would think that the Warriors really need to, I think, win game three. You don't want to go down 2-1 with another game in Boston before you go back home to Oakland. Um, so I was really interested in the game last night. That's why I decided not to shoot the pod. Well, the Celtics were in control the whole game. They find a way to win 116 to 100. The Warriors continued to like get within five. Then the, the Celtics would spread that out. Props to um, the Celtics, though. Their, their stars came to shine. Tatum, you know, this is the NBA Finals. The, the defense, the open looks, they're going to scheme to not allow you to get open looks. So that, these aren't the most efficient lines. I more so hate on players' efficiency in the regular season. But Tatum, 26 not. Nine and six on 23 shots. Marcus Smart, 24 and seven on 17. Jalen Brown, 27, nine and five on 16 shots. Um, Grant Williams with 10 off the bench. For the Warriors, it was all Clay and Steph. Steph Curry had 31 points only on or on 22 shots. He was six of 11 from three. Clay Thompson, 25 points on 17 shots. He was five of 13 from three. Uh, Andrew Wiggins had 18 and seven. But the next highest scorer was Jordan Poole with 10 off the bench. I did not expect him to not be that involved in the NBA Finals after such a good playoff run. You know, I thought he was a byproduct of having the Warriors team to have open shots. He a little bit overrated. He's probably going to get a fat contract. And, uh, you know, I, I was proven wrong all year. So I figured I, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to show out in the finals and he hasn't quite done that. So maybe I was right. But we have game four on Friday tomorrow, ABC in Boston, um, to me, this is a must win for the Warriors. So it'll be fun to see how that goes down. See what kind of fight they have left in them. But let's change gears to the ice. You know, I'm rocking my abs hat. Going to do it till they, they don't lose 
I'm about to get some new Angel swag in the mail today, so maybe not next week. But Evander Kane suspended one game after a dirty cross check to um, Kadri for the Avalanche. Kadri has been an amazing player for them all season. So right away, things get interesting. Uh, we had watched or talked about last week, game one, the Avalanche winning. Well, on Thursday, the Avalanche blanked the Oilers. Although they don't have uh, Kemper in the uh, you know in the goalie box, they have Francois in the box, and uh, he has 24 saves, and that was really the highlight here because you know the Avalanche, their offense is scoring some goals. You know they're not going to not score. I think they have the best offense in the game, and that's why they're the preseason favorite uh, to win. I think they were only plus 250. I wanted to put money on my favorite team, but plus 250. What does that do? Um, they outshot Edmonton by 16. Let's see. Hits were pretty even. Edmonton won more face-offs as usual. But Arturi Lenikin gets his fifth playoff goal. Nathan McKinnon gets his 10th via power play in the third. They win 4-0. Handling business up 2-0. You know, the, the story then becomes, well, what's going to happen when they go to Edmonton? Can Edmonton fight back? Then in the Rangers, lightning on the other side in the conference final. The Rangers take a commanding 2-0 lead. Where I thought Tampa Bay, the way they had been playing, was probably going to cruise through New York, but New York keeps fighting. Uh, they win 3-2. In this game, the stats were pretty much even amongst the board. Tampa Bay did have more hits. They did have more shots. Could not find a way to win. You got to give props to the goalie play of New York. Uh, they've been pretty stellar all postseason and probably is a reason why they keep winning at this point. But Nikita Kucherov started the scoring in the first uh, with his fifth playoff goal via power play. And then Mika Zabanjid gets his ninth playoff goal in the third period to go up 3-1. Nicholas Paul tries to make it close late third, but it's not enough. New York goes up 2-0. I'm definitely shocked. I'm not sure about the rest of the hockey world, uh, but, you know, just like the Avalanche series, okay, Tampa's got to handle business at home. Um, but I, I'm more confident, you know, obviously I know the results to this day, you know, part of the series, but I, I'm more confident in Tampa Bay than I am in Edmonton. I actually wanted the Avalanche to play against Edmonton versus Calgary because their goalie play isn't good. They're a high-scoring team. They have really good two scorers, Evander Kane and McDavid. But the Avalanche has good offense too as well. The teams that beat the Avalanche are those scrappy teams that are willing to take the hits. They're going to out-physical you. And that's what Calgary had provided with good goalie plays. So I was a little bit more excited about this matchup. But I didn't think it would be this clean. Game three, Avalanche win 4-2 to in Edmonton. Edmonton shocked. I mean, the Avalanche have controlled the whole series. They outshoot um, Edmonton by 15 goals. Edmonton outhits them by 13. Colorado actually wins more faceoffs this this match, uh, 36 to 26 by 10. So that that's not good for the for Edmonton. But Connor McDavid gets his ninth playoff goal in the first. Valerie Nushkin gets his fourth and fifth. How about the performance from him in, in a huge game, putting him up two to one? Um, you know, you go up three zero, you're most likely going to win the series. So clutch performance by him. JT Comfort gets his fifth playoff goal in the third, and Miko Rantanen chips in with his fourth as well. The Avs up 3-0. Let's go. What a, what a season it's about to be for Denver sports, right? You get Russell Wilson on the Broncos. You got uh, Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets still playing good ball. Jamal Murray comes back. Now you have the Avalanche. I mean, this is a pretty good era if you're a Denver sports fan. I'm just an Avalanche fan, but uh, I'm sure the city's rocking and rolling. But game three in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay does take care of business this time. 
Uh, they win three to two at home, so it's a two-one series. So it's not going to go the way of the Avalanche. Um, Mike Zabonjed, he keeps scoring. He gets his 10th playoff goal via power play in the first to put the Rangers up 1-0. Chris Kreider gets his 10th uh, goal via power play. So at this point, the Rangers are up 2-0. It's 2-0 in the second period. You're like, Whew, you know, what, what's going to happen? I remember switching off this game. I think there was something else going on, probably Angels. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, Tampa Bay is going to lose the series. Well, end of the second, Kucherov with the sixth goal via power play. Steven Samkos gets his sixth in the third, and Andrej Palat with the sixth playoff goal in the third to take the 3-2 lead. There is hope for the, for the, the you know, pretty much dynasty that Tampa Bay has created. Starting off the week this Monday, though, what a game this was, but the Avalanche found a way. I mean, Edmonton was up 3-1 in the second I thought, damn, you know, they're fighting their hearts out. They don't have, um, they didn't have uh, Evander Kane because of the cross-check in this game. You're like, they're, they're lacking people. The, the Avalanche have gotten some injuries. Francois is still the goalie. They don't have Kemper in. So it's like, all right, they're going to fight for their hearts. They're going to get a, a win here. But it just shows you how much the Avalanche want this after second round, after second round exit. They're over it. They outshot Edmonton. Um, Edmonton had more hits and more face-off wins, and the Avalanche had a lot more pe playoff penalty minutes. But Kel McCarr started it off with the, his fifth playoff goal in the via power play in the first. Zach Hyman got his tenth. So did Connor McDavid with the power play to go up 3-1 in the second. Devin Towes with his fifth playoff goal in the third to make it 3-2. Zach Hyman gets his second goal of the game, his 11th of the postseason to go up 4-2 in the third. Gabriel Landeskog with a huge goal to make it 3-4 for the Avs. And then Nathan motherfucking McKinnon with his 11th playoff goal to tie it up. And I'm fired up at this point. Miko Rantanen scores his fifth via power play. They're up 5-4. Well, Zach Kassan gets only a second to tie it up for overtime. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. But uh, a guy who had uh, made clutch goals to put his team in the championship last year, Arturi Lenikin with his sixth playoff goal in overtime. The Avs win. Get your motherfucking brooms out. We're sweeping that, baby. we sweeping that. And they're heading to the Stanley Cup championship. And knowing that um, the Lightning win again at home 4-1 on Tuesday, this is probably going 7. The Avs are going to have a lot of time to rest. Hopefully, Kadri will be back. Hopefully, Kemper can play. If not, you know, maybe you keep Francois in. At least you have Kemper healthy and capable. So it, it's going to be fun. Uh, but Tampa Bay did win at home, four to four to one. I mean, you could have counted them out. Like I said, down 2-0 in the series, down 2-0 in the second, in game three. They win that, then they find another way to win, and they controlled this game the whole time. They're up three to one. Uh, Pat Maroon scored a third playoff goal. Kucherov gets his seventh. Stamkos gets his second. Andrej Palat gets his seventh. Um, the stats are pretty even across the board, but Tampa Bay willed in this one. And their next matchup's going to be to tonight, um, game five in New York. Things are going to be interesting. Tied series, you know, the Lightning have uh, the positive momentum, but um, we'll see if they can keep scoring on New York. New York's been scrappy, and they're here for a reason. And I'm not too sure as an Avs fan, I really want to fuck with Tampa Bay just because they have that championship pedigree. But I'm not too sure the more I watch New York, you really want to fuck with them either. So it's going to be a fun finish in the Stanley Cup championship race. And I'm fired up. Go Avs. Go. 
But let's wrap up with some MLB and NFL. And as an Angel fan, boy, has it been a long couple of weeks. Just riding high at the end of May. Ten games above 500. Everyone's party rocking. I can't wait for the Angels to drop their City Connect. I can't wait for them to come to Seattle. I'm just fired up. This might be the year. Everyone's healthy. Everything's looking good. Now they are on a 14-game losing streak. Three one-run games yesterday. Uh, Monday and Sunday, they got swept by the Phillies after the firing their manager, Joe Girardi, which was kind of crazy, but they're now on a six-game winning streak. The Angels, not as lucky. They fire Joe Madden. They hire Phil Nevin as the interim manager, the third-base coach, and uh, they they keep losing. The pitching hasn't, the pitching's done all right of late, but the bats have not woken up. Mike Trout out with the groin injury. Taylor Ward still not back, right? There's lots of injuries to be dealt with. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a tough couple weeks. I tell you what, the, the, I watched five angels games in four days here in Seattle and they lose them. I'm going to, I'm going to be hot. Um, elsewhere in baseball, the diamondbacks signed Dallas Keuchel to a minor league deal after he was released. Uh, we'll see if he can make his way back up to the big leagues. Jordan Alvarez getting paid six years, $115 million. The young stud power hitter is going to be causing my Angels chaos for years to come. The Dodgers have been a pretty immaculate team this season. Well, they get, they're getting stronger as Clayton Kershaw is returning this Sunday. They get him back in the rotation. But when we look at some of the series from the past weekend, the Phillies swept my Angels 3-1. to one. They had the walk-off fashion on Sunday. The Angels were up 4. Bryce Harper with a clutch, massive grand slam, as much as I hate to say that. And then their young stud uh, comes in in the in the ninth for the walk off. So brutal, brutal for my Angels. The Cardinals split with the Cubs in that heated rivalry two two. The Twins beat the Blue Jays two to one. That's a huge series win for the Twins to get that momentum back. The Giants stay you know relatively consistent, beating the Marlins three to one. The White Sox beat the Tampa Bay Rays two to one. Huge win for the White Sox with all the injuries they're dealing with. The Padres sweeping the Brewers 3-0. And again, this is without Tatis. He should be back probably in July. And then the Mets beating the Dodgers 2-1. Huge win for the Mets in um, a battle of the heavyweights, so to speak. But let's look at the standings. I mean, the AL uh, East is run by the Yankees. are seven games ahead of the Rays and uh, Blue Jays, who are, are tied at 33 and 23, 10 games above 500. The Red Sox, 10.5 out. They're back on track. They've won eight of their last 10. Um, Yankees and Blue Jays, 7-3 and three in their last 10. Rays, 6-4 and four in their last 10. It's a tough division. It's going to be a fun race throughout the year, although the Yankees have a plus 101 differential. The only team better, the Dodgers, plus 112. But the next team closest is the Mets at plus 64. So they're cranking. They'll probably win the division, but the, the race for second, third, and fourth, all potential playoff teams is going to be fun. The AL Central, the Twins are four games ahead of the Guardians, who are even at 26-26. The White Sox five games back, trying to recover with the injuries. The AL West is run by the Astros, who are nine and a half above the Angels and Rangers, who are out of playoff position now. In the NL, the Mets are seven games ahead of the Braves, who are three games above 500 and nine and a half above the Phillies, who have been hot of late, winning or going five and five. The Braves are eight and two in their last ten. The Mets and Phillies both six and four in their last ten. 
The NL Central is led by the Brewers, only a half a game above the Cardinals now. That's going to be a, a crazy close race the rest of the way. The NL West, what a series this is, or what a season it's going to be between these heavyweights. But the Dodgers are a game and a half ahead of the Phillies and five and a half ahead of the Giants. The fact that the Padres are doing that well without Tatis, I'm still a little bit shocked. But when we switch gears to tomorrow, heading into the weekend series, we have some fun series in store. We have uh, the Tampa Bay Rays taking on the Twins. Um, both teams at 33 wins on the season. Friday night will be the Apple TV special and the doubleheader. We have Mets Angels happening on Apple TV this Friday and, and weekend as well. See if my Angels can end the drought. You know, they do play today, last game against the Red Sox, trying to avoid a four-game sweep. F my life. Um, and now they get a host, you know, one of the hottest teams in baseball in the Mets. So we'll see what happens there. And the Red Sox hosting, or the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Seahawks. <laughs> Seattle Mariners hosting the Boston Red Sox. I'll be at the game on Saturday. And the big heavyweight matchup, Giants Doyers, happening this weekend. Some fun action in baseball. Speaking of fun action, how about some headlines in the NFL world? Cooper Cup! Cup! Getting signed. The Eastern Washington alum, five year, well, three year extension. His full contract, five years, $110 million. How the Rams keep affording to pay all these guys, I do not know because they also extended Aaron Donald two years, $65 million, fully guaranteed, and allow him to opt into 2024 with a $30 million guaranteed. And oh, by the way, he's part of Donda Sports. He's, they're getting these boys paid. Jalen Brown, the new part of Donda Sports and the NBA. The Broncos officially sell the uh, two Walmarts, Rob Walton, for like $4.68 billion, just shy of $5 billion for the Broncos. Massive moves happening there. And then Alex Mack, amazing career, one of the best linemen um, in my lifetime, officially retiring from the NFL. Salute to you, Alex Mack. Other hitters in the sports world, USA getting some action in soccer. I just bought a USA jersey via Uptop. You can check out uptop.com. Um, local um, Montana clothing brand started by Cole Anderson as his family and crews running that. Uh, but excited. I love me some USA soccer. We're all on the same team. We could go to a bar and celebrate together. But Group B World Cup schedule uh, official. The pool of Group B is official. They have some international friendlies. They, they get a draw versus Uruguay this past week. They play Granada tomorrow and El Salvador 614. So some action for U.S. soccer before the World Cup this fall. And then how about Rafa? Rafael Nadal, the king of clay. He gets another win for the French Open. I watched the Djokovic match. What a match it was. But the king of clay lives on. I love you. Love me some Rafa. But that's it, man. We out here. We're in the high 80s in episodes. Cranking, cranking. I'm going to be steering towards the MMA sooner than later on the sports side. Got some business com content coming to you guys as I head to Montana for a month. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Like, subscribe, spread the word. If you want me to dive into a sports-specific topic, dive into your team, let me know. I'd love to do it. But I'll see you guys next week.